Hello and welcome to episode one of My Corner of Earth, a plant lover's guide to Scotland. Join me, Julianne Robertson, as I follow my nose around Scottish gardens, nurseries and horticultural hotspots, meeting some interesting people and plants along the way. We'll explore what's special about Scotland through the eyes of a gardener and self-confessed plant geek. Yes, that's me. Welcome to My Corner of Earth. In this episode, we're going to meet a Scottish flower farmer, Rosie Bergen. She runs Scottish Cut Flowers on the Errol Estate in the Perthshire village of Errol. I've been following her feed on Instagram for a while and I was amazed at the huge range of flowers she can grow on her walled garden plot and it's not that far from where I live. So as someone who enjoys growing flowers in my back garden, this made me curious and I wanted to know more about what kind of cut flowers you can successfully grow for sale in Scotland. What works? What doesn't work? What does the cut flower industry look like in this country? And what does it take to be a successful flower farmer? This interview was recorded at the end of last year. Rosie was lifting and preparing her dahlias for winter storage at the time. So we talk a bit about her top tips for looking after dahlias. And she describes what it's like to be a flower farmer in winter, which is commonly perceived to be a quiet time of year for growers. So let's get to the interview. I started off by asking Rosie how she has got to this point of growing flowers for a living. I've always lived in Perthshire. We were born, well, I was born in Fife and then we moved over here when I was six months old um, to closer talk to Rarder. But my dad moved onto this estate when I was 10 or 11, something like that. So while I didn't grow up here, I was always here at weekends, and then I went away to uni, Edinburgh Air, um, and ended up having a couple of jobs after uni, um, but I knew about this plot of land, so when I decided that this is what I wanted to do, um, I kind of got my act together a little bit and approached the Laird with the help of a friend who also lived on the estate, and um, we worked together and I got a lease. Um, so that's how I got this plot of land here, just mainly because I knew about it really, um, and it's ideal being a walled garden. Mm-hmm. And have you always wanted to, uh, did you grow up then just knowing I want to be in a garden, <laughs> I just want to work in with plants? Um, yeah, no. So apparently when I was young I used to just sort of touch every petal and leaf oh. and uh, I used to freak my granddad out because he thought I was just going like, to deadhead his garden, mm-hmm. but apparently I was just sort of admiring everything. Um, and then I went through school. And uh, when it got to the stage I had to decide something for uni, horticulture was the only thing I was interested in. So I did my degree, four years, um, and kind of left not really actually any closer to knowing what I specifically what to do. I had a job, it was the co-op farms at the time, the fruit farm, and um, that had been my summer job for two years, so they offered me a permanent position when I left. So I did that for a wee while, um, and was a crop walk supervisor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and... Um, uh, kind of assistant to the grower, so I learned a lot about large-scale production there, um, pest management, crop management, people management, mm-hmm. um, which was a good um, experience. But then I left there and I was working in a food hall, ended up managing a food hall, mm-hmm. as you do. Um, and I don't, I genuinely can't remember the moment when I realised that 
flower farming was even a thing. I think I'd been following American and Canadian growers. Um, and then I found a, a course down in the borders. There was a, a Scottish flower farmer called Paula Baxter, who's the Scottish coordinator for Flowers from the Farm, which is the organisation um, for all the growers in Britain. And uh, she was doing a workshop, and it kind of blew my mind that someone in Scotland was actually growing flowers. Um, so I, I booked that workshop straight away, went down, didn't think it was February, and um, quit my job not that long after, and decided to jump in with two feet. So, as you've mentioned, you're in Scotland, you're growing flowers, is this, and I think that might surprise people, you wouldn't associate, mm -hmm. you associate with like farming and things like that, normal kind of arable crops mm -hmm. or whatever, but um, what, do you think people have a misperception of it? Yeah, totally. I think I did. I think I did as well. Yeah. Um, but once you actually start thinking about it, when you visit all these gardens, they're full of gorgeous flowers, so they are growing, um, and we've actually got a pretty good climate for it, we're kind of we're mid mid range you know we're not too hot we're not too cold we have good rainfall we have good light um obviously we have our problems but any climate does so in some states of america it's so hot that they burn out in midsummer and there's not much they can grow they're quite envious that we can grow we can grow sweet peas all year that's just a dream for them mm -hmm. so you have plants that fit your climate um but we have a really good range so I find it quite easy to grow a good range of flowers in this country and if they need a bit more heat you use the tunnel. Mm -hmm. I mean obviously the past season's been a bit crazy <laughs> climate-wise, um, was there particular challenges with that? Yeah, um, so a lot of the type of flowers I'm talking about, the ones that we can grow all year round, that other growers in America might find tricky, suddenly we were finding tricky mm -hmm. because it was so hot the plants aren't used to that heat so quickly you know it's when they're growing rapidly they like it kind of um not too hot because they grow a bit quick or they burn out or they don't establish roots quick enough so there was a lot of watering to do um so sprinklers were on i said earlier about three or four days in a row just moving them around the acre um but again other plants loved it more heat-loving plants that um, usually do okay here were just so productive. So every year you're going to have it a bit different. Mm -hmm. And so who are your customers then? So you're growing all these uh, this amazing range of um, mm -hmm. plants and I've seen uh, the beds of things outside. I'm just astonished just how much you're growing mm -hmm. <laughs> within the past year or so. Um, who, who are you selling to? Who, who are you providing these plants and flowers? So for? my main focus customer are florists. So for the wholesale market, because I'm, I like growing. I like a crop. Um, I like you know big big quantities of uh, lower varieties. So wholesale florists. So at the moment, for the past couple of years, I've been delivering to florists in Glasgow. Um, but now we've just started a relationship with a wholesaler, a Dutch wholesaler, called Florimets, um, which is really exciting. So I'm hoping next year that we'll grow that a bit further. But away from that, I do sell directly to the public as well. So I do, for local delivery, I do bouquets, gift bouquets. Um, and I've just started moving into a bit of wedding floristry as well. So that's mainly focusing just on the bouquets, the buttonholes, corsages, the sort of items that can be collected, take, taken away. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm dipping my toe into the, you know, the larger scale pieces, installations and archways and table centres, that sort of thing as well. It's just a balance of time, really. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of more offering that just in spring, 
when I've got a little bit more time on my hands. So it's, it's fun. And is that a side that you're quite comfy with, the kind of floral design bit? Because I know I love growing plants, but I find it really hard to like, I literally just kind of pick some, whatever's growing nicely in the garden and sort of bung them in a vase. <laughs> and there's no art to it at all. I just, I can't get my brain into that whole floristry uh, mode. So yeah. is that something you're comfy with though? It is a total different world. Yeah. It really is. But I think uh, growing up, I always just made arrangements around the house. Um, but I'm kind of, immersed in this world of floristry they are my customers and become my friends and I follow their work um I've done a couple of courses as well but I think a lot of it is just a confidence thing actually and a lot of it is actually the mechanics behind the beautiful arrangement just understanding how you can make things stay in that shape you know arches Mm -hmm. stuff like that it's once you get over that confidence you realize it's it's fun you relax and you can um enjoy it a bit better okay so I'm I'm getting there. It's practice, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. Which side of things do you prefer? Do you prefer like growing, you know, getting your hands dirty in the soil, or do you like that kind of producing the final product? I like growing yeah. more. I'm definitely a grower, <laughs> and um, yeah, you're out there and you're just on your own doing your own thing. The thing with the floristry side is there's a lot of um, paperwork and admin behind it that you don't realise. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you just get to play with the flowers, it's, it can be months and months build up till you get to that point, whereas the growing side, there's always something to do right now, yeah. so you can get stuck in. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, you mentioned as well flowers from the farm, I think, mm-hmm. and are you aware of the, the Flowers for the Future campaign in Scotland as well? That's something, I mean, that's obviously highlighting a kind of local, flower, local flowers by local kind of mm-hmm. campaign. Why is that so important? I think it's so important because people don't realise it's there to start mm-hmm. with. So the more we can get people talking about it, the more they'll realise it's even an option. And then on top of that, it's just it's better for the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's um, it's not like we're tree huggers, it's just we can grow it here. So why not buy it here? Um, it's maybe not exactly the same range as you can get from abroad, but it's still beautiful. There's no air miles. Um, you, you can know the grower, you can at least know where it's been growing. Um, and that flowers for the future campaign I believe that's further up north maybe uh, Gordon Castle mm-hmm. I think they started it as a hashtag actually and um, that's just to raise awareness try and get local florists to be using the local flowers because up there especially they don't have key um, cities like we've got Edinburgh and Glasgow down here sure. where the word spreads quite easily up there they're a little bit more stretched out so they had to you know make an extra extra push mm-hmm. which is great that they're doing it and mm-hmm. it seems to be spreading which is fab mm. Yeah, it sort of makes sense, doesn't it, if the people are being encouraged to buy their food locally, their vegetables or whatever, why not buy your flowers that way as well? Yeah. yeah. Um, so what about the fact that you're also organic? Is that a bit of a challenge? Is that something um, it's tricky or to deal with pests without using chemicals on, on the sort of large scale that you grow? Yeah. Well, we're not certified organic. <laughs> Need to <laughs> put that so out that's your kind of that's yeah. your ethos. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we grow as sustainably as possible. Mm-hmm. We don't use any chemicals within the walled garden, even herbicides, which is actually the hardest one not to use because um, you know you spend a lot of time just strimming and mypexing, whereas you, know, you just go around with some Roundup and it would be sorted. <laughs> For the pests, yeah, it it is tricky sometimes. It kind of tugs at your heartstrings a wee bit. 
but I've got quite good at just relaxing about it. I just start the year expecting that there's going to be some losses and that's okay because I know, so for example, I had a crop of um, Artemisia and it got annihilated by black fly. And, um, but instead of going in with chemicals, I just, I just left it to see what would happen. And by the end of the season, it was clean and I had a massive crop of ladybird. You know, so if you kill the pests, you're not going to let the predators build up. Mm-hmm. So I know next year going in, I'm going to have a good population of ladybird, which will hopefully start the fight for me early. And um, just let nature take its course mm-hmm. and relax. It's okay, like, don't take it personally. <laughs> yeah, that's good advice. I often start off uh, the summer season just, like, wanting to wage war against the slugs. <laughs> I have this thing about slugs, I think, because they grow quite yeah. a few dahlias, and this year I've been like, right, I'm buying wool pellets, I'm getting slug pubs and putting them in the ground yeah. and doing all sorts. <laughs> and, yeah, I got a few, but actually, at the end of the day, I kind of just thought, I, I can't get them all. So exactly. you just have to kind of let them do their thing and yeah. hope that the birds pick up quite a few along the way. Yeah, that's the thing. The, birds will, the bird population will soar for it. Yeah. The thing, I think um, the young early stage of your plant, that's the crucial bit. Mm-hmm. So if there is something you can do to spend that extra time or find an organic solution. So I, I do use slug pellets. They're called sluggo. And they're iron phosphate. <laughs> I didn't do chemistry. I have no <laughs> idea what that is. But... Um, it's an organic compound and mm. it's it's harmless. The birds can eat the slugs and it's not going to harm anything. Mm. And actually the slug pellets break down and feed the soil as well. So okay. I do use some things where where I need. Mm-hmm. So if I'm planting out, you know, two centimetre high plants, mm-hmm. then I'll put down some organic slug pellets. Sure. Um, but generally it's just, I, I kind of let nature take, take its course. And I think next year when I'm going to be grown on a even even slightly bigger scale, I might buy in some beneficial insects. So ah. it's a huge range. You know, the people these people are experts, you're better just calling them and asking what they suggest. Yeah. But I know we again on the fruit farm we used to use quite a lot of them. So they use nematodes for the slugs in the soil, um, and they imported certain mites that would uh, kill the red spider mite and um, some parasitic wasps. They're my favourite. They're <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I actually have quite a good population of them here naturally. Oh, wow. So you can tell if your aphids sort of puff up like popcorn. Mm-hmm. They go papery. Nice. And quite fat. <laughs> that means that they've been stung by the oh. parasitic wasp and it's injected its baby into the aphid. Lovely. Um, so don't worry if your aphids are sort of looking popping. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that means that you've got some goodies fighting your corner yeah it is amazing yeah just how the kind of nature can do its own thing and if we interfere sometimes that's worse because it's just going to make the problem worse definitely because then the predators just die out yeah Yeah. so then you have to rely on more chemicals and that takes more time Mm -hmm. so really if you can relax about it it's the best thing to do yeah so what are you grow quite a range here? What are some of your favourite things to grow? <laughs> I'm glad you said favourites because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am not good at picking pick a favourite. No, no, I'm totally fickle. So it kind of as the season goes on, it changes. So anemones are the first proper flower that comes in the garden. You have some of your bulbs come first. Like, I shouldn't say proper. You have daffodils and stuff, mm-hmm. but anemone are the first sort of star flower. So they're always my favourite until about. July, <laughs> and then uh, things like snapdragons take over because they're just so productive. And actually, we just grow them super well in this country. They're really thick stems. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I think is that. 
It took a small child, yeah. <laughs> a medium-sized child. <laughs> they grow really tall and healthy, and the florists are always amazed by the quality of them. Um, and then dahlias kick in, mm. and dahlias just come in any shape and colour you want, and they're so productive. And then, at that point, it kind of becomes about um, sort of the figures for me, because dahlias are so productive, and I can sell them for a good price, so yeah. they're kind of like a cash crop then. Yeah. So, yeah, it keeps changing during the season. And if something comes down with a pest, then it's not my favourite anymore. It's, it's fine, I'll move on to another one. There's always plenty to choose from. Yeah. So you can't pick one then? No, no way. No. And you definitely can't pick a favourite dahlia, I'm guessing, either, because there's no, so many. No, we're yeah. just cleaning them today. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the past couple of days, and I kept saying to my mum who's helping, oh, this one's such a... This is my favourite. And then I get another couple of crates down, and I'm like, oh, and this one is so good. This is my favourite. No, <laughs> no, no, there's no choosing. <laughs> so go on then, give me what's your top tips. I'm going to be lifting my dailies later today. <laughs> and I noticed you've got quite a few different kind of... Um, uh, sort of different styles, ways of doing it to mm-hmm. going on here. What's the top tip of the day for lifting your dahlias and storing them for winter? Well, if you are lifting, because I think the thing with dahlias is do what you need. Mm. So I think if you if you don't need to move them and if you don't need to divide them, just leave them and protect them. To give them a really good mulch, um, I put a waterproof fabric over the top of them as well because getting wet's the worst thing for them. And um, yeah, just really protect them. If you do want to lift them, um, so for me, I want to divide them. That's why I lift them. I want to get more from each tuber. So as example, one of the varieties, I had 26 in spring and just divided them and I've got 123 tubers now, which is 123 potential plants. So that's me getting money and plants for free. So that's why I do it. Um, Otherwise, if you just wanted to um, move them next year, I would store them whole but upside down, so because a lot of water stays in the stem. So if you hold, uh, store them upside down, the water will come out. So the way I divide them is um, you divide them so each tuber has an eye at the top, mm-hmm. which, again, people do it differently. You can store them till spring and divide them then, or you can do it now. Um, that's just, again, down to your amount of time you have. Um, so if each tuber has an eye... You can cut it off and so one tuber will become one plant and the way I'm doing it is I'm wrapping them in cling film so each tuber is separated from the next one so if one of them rots out or has a virus or pests in it it means it's not going to infect the neighbour. Um, so once they're wrapped up then you store them in a, a bundle somewhere frost free that's not going to get really above five or six degrees really you don't want them too warm because they might try and sprout or they'll sweat and get uh, condensation and rot out. Um, yep, and then bring them out probably um, even up to like three or four weeks before the last frost and get them potted up and get them going. So as soon as the last frosts are done, you can get them straight out and have flowers super early. Okay, good. I'll be definitely putting some of that into practice, I think. <laughs> I've just been growing for the past two years or so, so I'm kind of getting into the swing of things now, but trying to figure out what is going to be my best way of... Yeah, your go-to. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody's so different. Some people store the tubers in sawdust, mm. sort of moistish sawdust mm. or peat moss. Um, some people swear by just putting them in the right temperature and just leaving yeah. the tubers whole. Yeah. I think the thing is to do is just check on them. Yeah. Check on them in sort of December, January, make sure that they're not shriveling you know, oh, if they start to go a bit spongy, mm. then it means that you're not doing something quite right and to see if you can work out what's wrong. Yeah. 
Yeah, people say they're tricky, but actually, I think when you find your method and yeah. stick to it, then it should be fine. Yeah, well, this yeah. is the first year for me doing it this way, so I'll work okay. out. <laughs> Let's hope it's the right way, because yeah. I'm doing it all this way. <laughs> so it's coming up now, it's November now, and um, obviously there's still plenty to do in the garden, mm. things like dealing with your dahlias, and there's plenty of pruning and probably lifting of spent annuals and things like that. Yeah. But obviously, Christmas is coming is that a quiet time for you? A, a flower farmer surely can't have much to do <laughs> in the middle of winter. <laughs> well, it's still pretty... I'm going to say it'll be busy for another maybe two weeks. Okay. By the time you're getting all, like you said, all your bulbs and your tubers lifted and divided and clearing the garden's a big job. That will carry on through the winter if you have an acre. You know, it takes a while. Mm. Um, and then once you... Well, Christmas is not quiet because, you know, it's Christmas. It's the last sort of push to get some money, really. You're a business, after mm-hmm. all. So you're doing workshops, you're making wreaths, you're... Um, well, selling. Yeah, selling them and doing workshops, really, is a big thing, or doing markets. Um, once you get past Christmas, then you can kind of take your foot off the gas a little bit. And the days are so short that while there might be plenty of work outside, still clearing or making new beds, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing the days are so short that you're going to have a good amount of time inside, which is a luxury. So it's lots of planning for the next year, lots of going through your notes, seeing what worked, what didn't work, what you're going to grow, if there's any new varieties you want, doing lots of research. That's when I sort of start super stalking all the other flower farmers, <laughs> seeing, um, seeing what I fancy growing, because you've got to keep adding something new in, because otherwise it'll get a bit stale. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, really getting ready for the next year with your numbers, um, making sure you'll have all the right seed and sort of making a good solid plan because once the season actually kicks in you think you're going to have time to keep planning things but you don't no, like things will fall by the wayside yeah. so which I like learned the hard way, hard way this year <laughs> so yeah every winter I get better at doing it because it's very tempting just to watch TV all day because <laughs> you feel like you deserve it because yeah. <laughs> during summer you're working seven days a week from pretty much March, maybe, mm-hmm. till now. Mm-hmm. So you do feel like you do deserve putting your feet up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to fight for it because sometimes you feel a bit guilty. <laughs> <laughs> but there is kind of a rhythm to the year, I suppose, in that way, where yeah. there's a quieter spell and a busy spell. Um, and you do need to make the most of the time that's less frantic, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. So what are the best and worst aspects, you think, of doing what you do right now? Um... Well, a lot of it links to it being a business. So for me, the best thing is, you know, I'm my own boss. Mm. Nobody tells me what I have to grow or who I have to sell to. Um, I'm in total control of that, which is also the worst thing (laughs) (laughs) because nobody's telling me what to do. (laughs) Help! Yeah, honestly, you really you you are learning the hard way the whole time, Mm -hmm. Um, and you. You know, again, you're your own boss. You can't really take a day off if you're a bit tired because it's quite a physical job. You're working in all weathers. Um, so some days you do think it would be nice to like be sitting in an office, <laughs> which is not my normal uh, frame of mind. But all in all, it evens out just to be... It is a great job. I'm very grateful when I look around. You know, if I'm feeling a bit sorry for myself, I just look around, see where I am, what I'm doing. And, um, yeah, I'm just very grateful to be doing it.
Huge thanks to Rosie for taking time out of her daily prep to speak to me and for tolerating my really rather nosy questions. It was really interesting to hear how she's got into this industry and her plans for the growth of her business and I'm really hoping we can have another meetup later this year to chat about how things are progressing and to see what she's got growing in 2019. You can follow Scottish Cutflowers on Instagram, just search for at Scottish Cutflowers and if you do you'll see she's already unpacking those tubers and getting the dahlias started again. And if you're interested in the Flowers for the Future movement, there's a Facebook page and you can also follow the hashtag on Instagram and you can find links to all those relevant pages and hashtags in the show notes. You can also follow me on Instagram if you like, find me there as at my corner of earth and there's a blog of the same name. All the links are on my website julianrobertson.com and in the show notes for this podcast so do check it out. Next time, I'm talking to some folks from Nine Wells Community Garden in Dundee. For now, be happy and well in your corner of Earth. Goodbye.